Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Today's episode of Front and Nationwide is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Blue Jackets or NHL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is The Athletic's dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsline with you on a kind of a foggy Tuesday morning. Allison Lucan is here. Good morning. The Blue Jackets are off today. Everyone breathe a sigh of relief. A 4-3 overtime win last night over the Buffalo Sabres. Alexander Texier, the Game winner, his first OT game winner. Hell, his first OT in the NHL. And the Blue Jackets, boy, did they need that one. Uh, up 2 nothing, tied 2-2. Up 3-2, gave up a goal with a little over a minute to go to tie it up, drag it into overtime. They get the point. Uh, they get two points. Huge for them, Allison, because they're looking at, I mean, the first two games, I know what John Tortorella is saying. I think I know where he's going with it and what he's trying to do. But, boy, I that, those are two hard games to sort of bring a positive spin out of. If they lose that game last night, especially in regulation, but if they lose that game last night, they've got three days now to think about it, and they, their confidence is is really on life support, I think. This allows them, I think, to breathe a little bit. Everything's going to be okay. They can play this way. They can win. They can get goaltending. They can play well in front of their goaltender. This idea they've got for how they have to play and how they're going to win makes sense and has, has paid dividends now uh, in, in Game 3. Your thoughts just on this sort of the exhale factor and how bad this was after two games and how much better I think everyone feels now today. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you you nailed it when you talked about seeing the way they needed to play pay off. I mean, I asked Corpusalo last night what if he noticed anything different in the play in front of him, and he said it was a full 60 minutes as opposed to kind of the spurts. And I think that's what made those first two losses even worse, if you will. I mean, everyone can look at those two teams and acknowledge their tough competition. But to say, to to look at the way that the team lost, to look at the way that the team played, I think that was the cause for 
the, the thought of panic or concern. If they had played those two games hard and still lost, I don't know that we would be having the same conversation. Um, so to, to put it together, to put together a full 60 and to get the result is, is really, really important for this club. Yeah, and I didn't mind the Toronto game or their, their play in it nearly as much as the Pittsburgh game. I thought that was the one that was really disconcerting. And uh, therefore, the, the, what I liked about last night, and several players addressed this afterward, is there were, there were, there were ample opportunities in that game uh, to pull the plug, to say, oh, my God, this just isn't going well. When they're down 2-2 two to two after the second period, they came out and they played a pretty good third. Uh, yeah, they gave up the three three goal with a minute and fourteen to go, but it's a six on four power play. The problem there is the Boone Jenner penalty, which gave the Sabers with their goalie pulled a, a two man advantage. Six on four goals are going to happen, uh, but that's a crushing time in the game, and they still kept it together. That's what they didn't do in Pittsburgh. They didn't keep it together. Uh, we can touch a little bit more on Elvis later. But I felt there was a steeliness about that performance last night that, that, frankly, had been missing in the first two games and, again, frankly, needs to be with them every night because the, I think we know this. No one wants to talk about who's not here anymore. But that has taken away their margin where they almost have to play their style to perfection every night and hope for the best. Absolutely. And I, you know, the, the big thing too is it, that underlies all of this is patience, right? And I think that's what they lost in, in both of those games. I, I liked the first 40 against Toronto. I liked the first 20 against Pittsburgh, but then it was just like, here we go, whatever. And to your point, if you're going to play thin margins, which they're playing in terms of at least right now, the quality of shots they're generating, the quantity of shots they're generating, the goaltending that they are getting, if you're going to play to those margins, you have got to be focused on sticking to the plan, and that means being patient even when things start to get a little bit hairy. Yeah, and so here's where they're at. John Tortorella is preaching patience. He's also got five rookies. (laughs) Five rookies. And four of them are playing with regularity now. Uh, let's get to one last night. Uh, Emil Bemstrom moved up, and the news there is that Josh Anderson is, is day-to-day with an upper body injury. Um, day-to-day typically means not long. Uh, so it, it, the sense is it's not serious. But I liked Bemstrom moving up with Felino and Jenner last night. Brought a little uh, skill and and maybe some some firepower to the line. Although Anderson's a Anderson's such a special player, how much are they going to miss him, uh, Allison, if he's out for even a short amount of time? I feel like he's such a big part of this team's identity. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, towards you know, the, yesterday morning he said day to day, and then it was in his post game comments said, I don't know how long he's going to be out, <laughs> and we didn't push on that last night. That wasn't really the time, but. Um, Yeah, I mean, when I was thinking about this yesterday, I mean, Anderson is so important in so many areas of their game. He's a huge, huge part of their penalty kill. He is a huge part of the physicality that they play with, his speed, his ability to create the rush, to join the rush. Um, This is a guy that they need to be in the lineup. And if the... Honestly, if it's something that needs to be healed or requires a little time now, 
I'd rather see them do that now because it's so early in the season that mm. y- you need him down the stretch. This isn't I, – I don't think that this is a player that we want to see deal with something like Zach Wierenski had to a couple years ago. And, I, and, you know, I think everyone learned from that as well. But, yeah, you've got to get Anderson healthy and back in. Yeah, no one has said this, but the concern, of course, is was with Anderson's shoulder, which he – you know, injured during the playoff series against Boston, yeah? Right, right. And acknowledged in training camp, it's not, it hasn't really felt very good all summer and still doesn't feel 100%. That's a concern. And no one has said it's the shoulder. You worry about that, that shoulder, though, if it had the entire, summer to, the entire summer to heal and didn't quite. Right. Uh, obviously, Josh Anderson, <laughs> of all guys, needs a shoulder. He played <laughs> shoulders. He's a shoulder kind of player, um, so it'll it'll that's a big task for for someone to fill in for him if it's if it's any time at all that he's out of the lineup. But what did you think of Bemstrom last night? I did I liked him up there. I thought he I thought he kind of sort of got the Jets going last night more than he did in the first two games. Uh, Tortorella said he was looking for opportunities to spot him in in offensive type situations more than just the power play, which is his forte, though we haven't seen that quite yet. Got his first NHL point last night. Um, what did you think of his game all around, Allison? Emil Bemstrom? Yeah, you know, I, I liked it. And I think that what going up in the lineup did was it really, it gave this, you know, you talked about the rookies. And when you sit back and think about that, when you sit back and think about, you can have these guys who can contribute are ready to be in the NHL, but, you know, they're still learning how to play at this speed. They're still learning how to trust the decision-making that they have going on in their brains. And so I think for Bemstrom to see, I mean, we're still hearing even from Texier and Bemstrom, well, at least I'm still here. (laughs) So so to have this vote of confidence to say, here's who you're going to play with. You know that the organization thinks highly of the two players that you're playing with take the opportunity I think that can be a little extra push right for the player to feel more free to play I liked what he did he was you know up towards the top half of players in terms of game score and, and what they were doing on the ice he, he was getting in there assisting on the goal with his face as Nick Foligno said well um, whatever it takes right but uh, no I liked it and I liked the fact that necessity led to opportunity and Bemstrom handled it quite well versus challenging his head coach to have to make a different decision halfway through the game. Yeah. I thought Felino was terrific last night. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, so many, so many times we measure a captain's uh, presence with the words that they use or the big Hollywood type pep speech in the, in the dressing room. You know, for me, it's a performance like last night where he draws the penalty after that long, massive shift draws the penalty that led to his own power play goal, the 3-2 lead, huge, and then makes just strips Jack Eichel of the puck and feeds Texier for the game winner in overtime. I think Felino was really good for Bemstrom yep. at even strength. I think he was really good for Texier in in the overtime there, just the sort of the calm, predictable veteran who's been there a million times before. Let's talk Texier a little bit here because I, I think – it's weird. He came in at the end of last year, and so it almost takes a little bit of the zing factor out of him being so new this year. Still a really young player, still obviously a rookie, 
John Tortorella last night said he was their best forward. Yeah. Uh, boy, does that say something ab- ab- about him uh, and maybe some others. But but th- I feel like this kid is is what is really going to make his presence felt in the NHL this year. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. First and foremost, when we were speaking to him after the game in, in the locker room, I just kind of kept looking at him and saying, you're really composed. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's really impressive how he carries himself, how he is approaching building his career. And I also liked one of the questions I posed to Torts after the game was how they were feeding play, how they were creating opportunity, were they trying to use behind the net more? And I was asking in a general term, and his first reaction was to talk about Texier. Um, it is very clear that Torts is high on him. He talked about Texier's, Texier's ability to transition the puck low to high to create dangerous opportunities. And when you really think about what this team has to do now to decide what that identity is in three-on-three, such an important part of the game and and something that this team has hung its hat on, for Texier to be on the list, as Tort said, is huge. And And I think to see the composure that this kid is playing with you kind of hinted at this. It's you have to remind yourself that this kid is a rookie. It because it's that is not what he is conveying with his play on the ice. Yeah, wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall last spring, uh, early March or so, when Yarmo Kekalainen says, uh, "So, John, we've got a young rookie from France who's going to be right, joined. right." Sorry, you what? For a playoff? For a playoff push? This is what you're giving me. But this this kid, there is a steely resolve about this kid, he, and he's he doesn't have a lot of friends on the other team right. by the end of the night, which is really interesting. Um, and perhaps that's the an unfortunate stereotype we need to get over. Maybe I just am the one who needs to get over it. But you don't think of a French player as being a tough guy and an, an, an antagonist. But he he's not a certainly an agitator. But he is he is in there mixing it up and does not back down from anything. So that's a really good sign uh, for them. Um, you know, I, we should probably talk about Gavrikov too, who made his season debut in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, not a lot of guys put forth um, a line on their resume in that game that would suggest they deserve to stay in the lineup the next night, but he did. And I thought he has played pretty, pretty well. I like this kid's game. Um, I think, I feel like, if you're talking Kukian, Harrington, or Gavrikov, I feel like Gavrikov's the guy that has um, the best parts of either of those other two games and the most upside. And I'm wondering if you'll disagree with me, Alex. Yeah, you know, it's um, – I will – I'm going to a little bit. <laughs> um, it, as you know, I have a fun little exercise where I talk about what, what I think – the pairs could be, and I have like three options depending on the day. Um, but I, you know, I, I was teasing yesterday. I said, I, I'm, I'm good with this setup for the 6D because I think particularly when you look at the way the top four are being set up and what you want on the other side of Nudavara, because Nudavara should be in the game, Gavrikov is really a good option. I have been surprised pleasantly um, with his offensive play, I've seen him jump into the play perhaps more than I even expected um, from him. Where I think he can still grow and where I'd prefer a Kukan, at least right now, is on his transition play. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily seeing 
the the ability to to pass as effectively maybe and we haven't seen a ton of shooting from him yet um, but I think that that will come but um, so Kukan holds a little bit of an offensive upside for me but again given the pairings I get this and I think that it's a really nice statement on another rookie in terms of what they're showing us that after we saw the coaches kind of go through the merry-go-round of who works where, that Gavrikov's the one getting the second game first of, of the three that are kind yeah. of competing for that spot. Yeah, well, he can let one go, too. It's yeah. shot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe – I still think there's a, a lot of confidence for him to gather here. Yes. It's also new to him. Yes. Right? Um, I, I like what I've seen early on. Um, again – John Tortorella is putting five rookies into the lineup. That is, woo, and preaching and preaching patience. So, I think the the one, um, this is you know certainly sitting up in the press box, you're you're not a, a fan. That doesn't mean some things are easy to watch and some things are are aren't hard to watch. Boy, was it hard to watch Elvis Merzlikens take that on Saturday. Mm. And, oh my. Uh, gave up seven goals in his NHL debut. I mean, you want everybody wants that to be a memorable night. They want to keep the puck. They want to celebrate with the the Kepi in the dressing room. They want to call home. And I mean, I if you've ever done anything, played an instrument, uh, sung, been an actor, given a speech, anything where there's that moment of oh boy, this is it. And to have it unravel like that is just unbelievable. Uh, watch parties going on in Latvia. Such so much pride. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine what that young man is feeling. But God, God did he handle it well afterward? Um, I, and I wonder where this goes. Allison, thoughts on picking up the pieces? What what can the Blue Jackets do? What does Elvis need to do? after a game like that, which just had to be torturous to endure. Yeah, I mean, to to your first point of how he handled it in the moment, I mean, we asked to speak to him after the game, and I honestly didn't know if he would come out, right? Um, I could see him not, and he did, and he spoke to the press, and he handled himself really well. And, you know, there was a quote that, that you included and some others have have put out there as well. At the end of his comments, he said, you know, I've, I've learned, and, and the next time I come back to Pittsburgh, I'm going to win this game. And, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't billboard material. It wasn't cocky. It was, it was in that moment that I think we saw maybe part of why the coaching staff chose to leave him in. Um, we've talked about this, his intense competitiveness. And I go back and forth, but I do continue to feel like as painful as it was, it was the right thing to leave him in there because to say you're coming out is perhaps a we've lost belief in you. And to say just finish it out and, and take what you can is is huge um, for a guy like him in the little that I think I know him um, from what he said with us. And, you know, some of the guys yesterday even said, you know, he – think about to your point in, in example you have this big moment and it goes terribly awry just to come back and get back at it the next day in and of itself 
is a thing. And we had guys talking about how he came back to practice. He was focused. He was clearly intent on getting better. Um, it, how he, So far, how he's responded, I think, is all the right things. Now, what we still don't know is how he's going to respond on the ice and how long still it's going to take for him to transition to the North American game. We don't know that. But I think that for him to handle it the way he has – speaks to his character I don't know I don't know a lot of people that could come back from that in in the context that each of us live our professional lives (laughs) yeah that was hard to watch um and my question is if you're John Tortorella when do you come back with him right I mean your first concern I think is with the team um overall it's getting wins because you've you've started off behind the eight ball here They've got a back-to-back coming up this weekend, Anaheim at home on Friday, at Carolina on Saturday. Uh, and let's let's say this, too. One of the reasons or the explanations for Eunice Corpusalo's save percentage the last couple of years is that he has not been able to get consistent play. I certainly don't think that he, at, at his age, and as, as he's been protected the last four years, he's got 90 games in four years in the NHL, that he can't play a back-to-back. Right, right. I mean, I don't think that's overly taxing to him in any way. I'll be very interested to see what they do this weekend. Um, I, I can't imagine Elvis plays Friday, but I wouldn't I wouldn't want to put the number two goalie out there against Carolina, a division game, on Saturday. I don't think it's too early to think in those terms either. So I'm not sure when Elvis gets back in, but my God, that's going to be a heavy game. Um, and, and I'll say this, like it, it reminded me, I'm not saying his performance reminded me of this goaltender, but there were a lot of games towards the end of Steve Mason's run in Columbus where it reached a point where the, you could tell the team on the ice did not have confidence that a save was going to be made. Right. And when that happens, you, you would think that a team would become more defensively stout. I think what happens is you're so worried about uh, allowing any decent scoring chance uh, that everything unravels and you stop just playing and everything comes unglued. There were probably, I think if you're being honest, of those seven goals that he allowed, I think probably four four of them need to be stopped. Yeah. Is that fair? I think so, yes. Yeah, and that's a big number. That's a big number. The guy I kept thinking about, and it was a different situation because it was an expansion team, and and I don't think anybody had had playoff aspirations, uh, and they certainly weren't coming off a playoff season. They were an expansion team, but the Blue Jackets uh, put Mark Denis out uh, for his NHL debut, the second game in franchise history. He gave up seven goals in a seven to one loss to the Kings. I'm hoping to speak to Mark uh, later today, um, but I that I, that was what my mind went back to, where you're like, oh my god. Uh, but he he pulled it together and had some pretty good pretty good run of play for the Blue Jackets and I, I I should think that Elvis is going to do the same. John Tortorella saying he left him out there to play through it. He thinks this is going to be beneficial to him. Um, but Allison, when you look at some of those goals that he allowed, they didn't feel like goals that were the result of a player getting acclimated to North American style hockey. I think they were shots. Let's be honest, through his glove. Yeah. Lots of lots of glo- shots under his arm where 
he just needs to get in the way of it, and he's not getting in the way of it. And I, 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 I would be fascinated to see what he and Manny Legacy work on uh, over the next while to, to fix what, what ails him. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's – and I don't pretend to understand goaltending. I, I talk often with um, our Catherine Silverman, who's who's our goaltending expert and um, within the athletic family. And, yeah. you know, she was saying it, there were just some angles, to your point, that um, he didn't make the right choice. Now, a couple she did say, she was like – those are hard choices. Those are hard reads. And so in talking with her, I think that some of this is that continued progression of getting to know the North American game. I also think, quite frankly, it got to the point where, while yes, some of those goals had to come back at that point, the snowball was already too big and rolling downhill. That doesn't make it okay. But again, I think there's a lesson in that if he can learn it. Um, And I think that's important too. I mean, it's it's not great that this is happening during the regular season, but I, right. I think that's a lesson to be learned because this position is so mental, right? Yeah. And if he can get through that, and you know, one of the things that, that we've learned about Elvis is that his relationship with his coach is extremely important to his yeah. ability to develop. And, you know, he and Manny Legacy spent a lot of time this summer building just that. And so... If that foundation is in place, Manny should be able to at least do what he can as a coach to help Elvis take the next steps. It'll, of course, ultimately be on the player. Um, but, the, but the building blocks are there. I, again, the goals against were, were not good. But I, again, I think some of it, too, is that at that point, you're just like, can, can it just be over? <laughs> you know, yeah. and oh. um, the next game is going to be crucial to see how he responds. And then, and then it goes to the question you've been asking for a while. If the next game isn't great either, how, how much longer, how much longer is his leash while he tries to learn this game? Well, and it's, it might be longer than it should be. Cause right. where do you go? Exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, that's the real gamble in all of this is not so much the two guys at the top, though. It's a gamble. It's the third guy who has less experience than the two guys at the top. Right. Like, Oh my, like there's there, this has to work. Allison. It has to work. And and, and, you know, it's, I do struggle with this. I don't have answers on this because as we've talked about and not even to overhype, I mean, even when I talk to people in other organizations, they're like, our guys are real high on that Elvis Merzlikens. Like people who evaluate hockey players and goaltenders from with who have no stake in this game <laughs> as far as Elvis succeeding or not right. seem to have such a belief in him as a player now it's up to him to put the pieces together at this level yeah and I'll be honest with the talks I have with people around the league they're not high on Corpusalo. right right they're really high on Elvis Merzlikens right Dr. Ray Ferraro uh, the other day who was in town for the was it the Leafs game yeah yes yes and I mean, he has seen he has seen Merzlikens play a lot, and he was going Vasilevsky with him. Hmm. Loves him, like thinks he's he's Vasilevsky like. Hmm. Um, I talked to a guy, a former NHL GM, a couple of days ago. I was like, yeah, not a Corpusella guy. Our guys love Merzlikens. Right. Exactly. Like big time prospect and first round pick love Merzlikens. Right. Um, so yeah, what a, what a way to get it rolling. I mean, you just, 
God, if you've ever done anything, like I said earlier, it's that, it's that, um, it's that almost anxiety dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That everyone has, where you're you're performing, and oh my God, you're not wearing pants, right? You're in front of a crowd, <laughs> or you for, totally forgot the words, right? Or I mean, it's a nightmare, absolute nightmare scenario, and it's going to be fascinating to watch the kid, uh, to watch the kid respond to it. But also watch the team and, and how they handle it and when he goes in next and how the team plays around him. Um, I mean, it's really hard for a team to play well if they don't believe in their goalie. So how they conjure that up before the next game, I think, is going to be crucial. So, yeah, oof, interesting stuff. Allison, anything to add before we let the people go here? Well, I mean, I think that attention must be paid to the fact that the power play was two for three last night. They should should they still fire Brad Larson though? That's embarrassing. <laughs> Two for three. What happened to the third one? <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I we've talked about this. It it could be systematic. It could be new personnel. But eventually, this thing has to turn around. And 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 honestly, I mean, credit to those power play units last night. There was there was good play. There was efficient passing. There was creative play utilizing space behind the net. It, as much as people have crapped on on that side of special teams, it's worth recognizing their success last night. Yeah, and, and let's let's say this too: it, no one's no one is above criticism when the power play has been as bad as it's been. For sure, right? Um, yeah, the fire the coach stuff gets gets tired quickly because there's more to it than that, certainly. But everyone should be held accountable. The Blue Jackets right now have the let's mark, write this down: fifth rated power play. Talk about that. I couldn't even say it without without coughing. <laughs> um, you know, they got three power play goals. I think Cam has two of them. I think they've yep. taken a grand total of about 15 seconds. Yep, yep. They've been very quick. Uh, now, the penalty kill, Allison, is another story. Fire Brad Shaw. The penalty kill. Oh, they got to get that fixed. Um, the Sabres came rolling in with a hot power play. I think they're like six for ten on the year now yeah, or something yeah. crazy. Um, and again, the one they allowed late was a six on four, still a, a penalty kill failure, if you will, but right. that's a different beast. Well, and one thing about the penalty kill that, um, I've been watching, particularly in the Pittsburgh game, the people taking the penalties were some of your best penalty killers. And that doesn't help matters at all. When you have Josh Anderson in the box, when you have David Savard in the box, these are the players, particularly, like I mentioned earlier, and and Anderson, Winberg, and Cam Atkinson. Um, and then there's, of course, Nick Foligno and Boone Jenner who fit in that the forward side of that rotation. In my opinion, those are the guys that really make that penalty kill work because they drive that aggressive four-check-esque play right. that challenges the opponent's power play. You take them out, you take the bite away from the penalty kill, and then if you take a David Savard out, which is, of course, the stout back end, now you are also limiting your forwards because they can't be as aggressive if you don't have a strong guy like David Savard on the back. So for me, too, part of this that I will allow for now is the personnel that took themselves off the ice yeah. leading into the penalty kill. But yes, I mean, and let's let's also say there are still a lot of moments showing that the penalty kill is just as aggressive and effective. I mean, they've had quite a few shorthanded chances um, this early in the season. So yeah. um, 
if they can be smarter and more disciplined and keep the right guys out there when they have to play that PK, um, I would expect them to be fine. Well, here's a stat for you. San Jose 0 for 14 on the power play to start the season. That's rough. But they've allowed three shorthanded goals. Wow. Oof. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, wow. Uh, not the start they're looking for. Blue Jackets, a big win on Monday. Everybody breathe. Uh, the Blue Jackets are off today. Back to work on Wednesday. We'll be back with you on Friday uh, for the next Front and Nationwide. And thanks for uh, thanks for being with us. Enjoy your uh, next few days. Fall has arrived. Hockey season is finally here. We'll talk to you on Friday. Mm-hmm.